0: Uh, tonight we 're going to be in Acts chapter nine, so if you want to open up why i 'm organizing here we 're going to take a look at a conversion of a rock star and uh, what not to do and what to do so i 'm going to um, i 'm going to share with you what not to do uh, I think we're going to do that in just a sec, so kind of get ready. Okay, Sam? No, you don't, don't play it yet, but you ready? Is he ready? I can't see. Okay. Um, how, how many you all know Bob Dylan? Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, what was it? I heard giggling. Personally? No one knows him? Well, I guess I'm just like you. Um. Do you, do you know? Well, let me let me play this song for you. Uh, this is he wrote this and he performed it. Listen to the lyrics. got to hear it all the way through. It's good. John, we need this on Sunday done. Almost finished. Hang on. Yeah, he says, I want to thank you, Lord. You can fade it out. Sam's back there rocking out. Yeah. Uh, A lot of you don't know, Bob Dylan converted to Christianity. And uh, he was actually led in a Bible study at Calvary Chapel. And he produced three Christian albums. And the fourth Christian album he produced uh, didn't sell. And so he stopped producing Christian albums. And uh, everyone had assumed that he had renounced Christianity and given up. And um, the, the man who had led him to the Lord, Al K- uh, Kasha, uh, was, 70, was a 75-year-old music industry guy. He was a Messianic Jew. And uh, he actually was baptized in a church uh, in Van Nuys. I, used to, I heard the joke from a Messianic Jew that Van Nuys was settled by Jewish immigrants. They came over the hill and they went, nice, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> I thought it was funny, but uh, he, he, uh, he converted to Christ, and uh, even to this day, if you hear some of his lyrics, a lot of folks think he's renounced Christ. He hasn't. He still believes in the Lord, but he produces secular music, and one of the reasons why he turned away from producing Christian albums is because he was so beat up by not only the church, but also by the secular community. The press beat him up. The church beat him up uh everyone do you remember when amy grant first came out with kind of a christian album and everyone oh she's you know it's a sellout tour and um and and just the brutality of of both sides of it as an artist um trying to find your niche and still develop these things and it was awful and um he just most people don't even have any clue that he converted to christ and uh, it's something he, even to this day is private to him because it was so painful because of the way it was it was received, and and actually the church were, was guilty of wanting to immediately put him to the forefront. Uh, if you see in Scientology, the I was just watching a whole exposé on Scientology and and uh, Tom Cruise. Um, they've got him in hook, line, and sinker, and and there's maybe within the core, the central portion of of Scientology, there's probably fifty thousand people, and it is a, a multi-billion dollar organization that has uh, buildings all over the world, and uh, they they won the lawsuit against the IRS, stating that they're a religion, they're tax exempt, and yet they amass wealth and. Um, and it's it's a hierarchy there's there's uh conditioning and they they imprison people they go through all kinds of stuff with it and yet tom cruise is the the it, it was john travolta and and john travolta kind of faded out of that and tom cruise is now the spokesperson for that and it's amazing how religions want to take famous people to bring power or authority to what they have and god never intended that for the body of christ to to take a uh, some sort of recognized figure and, and give power to the church as though the church needs it. Um, Bill Bright believed that if you can win on a campus, and he called a Campus Crusade, if you can win uh, the, 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 the football captain and the, and the head cheerleader, you'll win the Campus for Christ. And, um, and so that was kind of the push with this Campus Crusade for Christ. We're going to see a totally different approach in Acts chapter 9 uh, when they get a rock star convert to Christ uh how what what do they do how do they work with a rock star probably the most well-known individual in the in the jewish world at that time an up-and-coming young man trained by he was the the greatest student trained by the greatest master and uh he was zealous we're going to see later that uh when when three years has passed the church is still frightened of him even though they've gotten word that he's converted to christianity they still don't want anything to do with him he is, he is so renowned in the Jewish world and so feared by Christians in, in this, this double world um, that you're also going to see that the Jews are going to want to kill him, immediately want to kill him. So he's kind of in a place like what Bob Dylan was, where uh, the world he came from doesn't want him anymore, and the world that he converted to doesn't want him, and he's in no man's land. And so what happens in the life of a believer, you're going to see here in, in chapter 9, is something that has to happen to almost every believer. You're going to, when you come to Christ, before God's going to use you, you're going to get what is called a BSD degree. Uh, Everyone gets a BSD degree. It's called the backside of the desert. Uh, God just wants to get you alone, and He wants to reduce you to a minimum so He can pour in His maximum. And so we're going to pick up this evening in Acts chapter 9 with the life of Paul. Uh, We're going to start with verse 20. I'm going to read it through, and then we're going to go by verse by verse. Immediately, uh, Paul preached. Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. So he's he's an immediate conversion. He's already beginning to teach that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And he has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and uh, confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Paul had... Uh, um, a memorization of the the Pentateuch. He 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 could give you chapter and verse by memorization. Uh, he was the finest student trained by the finest teacher. And so when, when the Messiah is revealed to him, he can, on, he, he can take Isaiah 53 and, and point out the aspects of the Messiah and Christ's fulfillment of every uh, messianic prophecy in Psalm 22. And he can go on and on and on. He can show you in Psalm 119. He can show you acrostics. He can, he can show you Christ in, in the book of Genesis where it, 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 the word Elohim means singular plurality or unified diversity. He can show the Trinity. He can, he can reveal it to any Jewish scholar because he knows it inside and out and all of a sudden it's been revealed to him well in the same regard he had a zeal this this man was amazingly gifted amazingly talented he was zealous for the jewish faith converts to to christianity and what is considered a messianic jew a completed jew his Messiah's arrived he embraces him and now he's as zealous in this regard as he was prior to that and you think man god is going to be able to rock it now because he's got a guy who is totally equipped and He's he's renowned in the synagogues, and he can debate with anyone. He, he's got apologetics down. He he can he can argue with the finest attorneys. He had the equivalent of what would be you know three doctorates in our our modern day vernacular. He he probably spoke they they estimate five languages, maybe more. Um, he he was a Roman citizen. He was he was uh, raised in Tarsus. Um, he he understood Greek. He understood Hebrew. He understood Latin. Uh, he understood Aramaic. He spoke multiple languages. Um, and being a Roman citizen, he could travel anywhere. He was part of the Sanhedrin because he was a Pharisee. So we know that he was married. We don't know what happens to his wife. And, and it's fascinating. We're going to see here, similar to Jesus, when he was a young boy and he went down to Egypt with his mother and father. Those are the, what they call the silent years of Christ. We don't know really what occurred in relation to his life until we see him in the temple as a young boy. So at this point, you think, okay, God is aligning the stars for something spectacular. He has got, it's like watching the most amazing person convert to Christianity, and now we've got a spokesperson for for the faith. What would we do? What would we do if, you know, first of all, I remember one time Kelly Clarkson came to church, uh, and she attended when we were over at Skyline. And she came because she was invited by our worship leader, um, sat inconspicuously in the back but it it was just a matter of time before the kids started to realize who it was and we just wanted to get her out so that nobody would harass her and and um, you know imagine somebody of and and that was back when she was really really popular she's popular now but even more so back then so you look at this and you see um, what appears to us to be an aligning of the stars that God is going to do something spectacular I love what what was written here It's been said that effective service happens when you have the right person at the right place doing the right thing at the right time. The right person, right place, right thing, right time. All those have to be aligned for for a a service to, to take off. And you just see everything aligned and it's moving and spectacular. The church tends to, to move towards the, the secular world wanting to do things the way that, that the secular world does it. And we think it's spectacular. God has a different way of doing things. Timing is important. And what we think is God's timing isn't. Most of the time, we don't get it. We don't grasp it. We're not sure how to operate with it. My timing isn't always perfect, but God's is. And, and you've, you've often heard God is, is, um, is, is never late, but he's seldom early. Have you gotten that one? And there are times where I'm thinking, you know, God, you're you're officially late and there's a deadline and it's passed. And God says, I don't work by man's deadline. I got this. And matter of fact, I'm going to use the delay on the deadline to bring glory to myself and just sit back and shut your yapper. (laughs) And we're going to see several examples of this in the text this evening as, as we we take a look. Some of the things that we learned about Paul last week as, as we were taking a look at his life, I wanted to list a few of them. He was deeply religious. We know that he was a Pharisee. He was super intelligent. As I stated earlier, as the top student of the top teacher. He was brilliant. He was fanatical. He was filled with maniacal rage. He he wanted to kill Christians. They were frightened of him. You remember when he said in Ananias, a road call straight, and, and he was he was just frightened and he's reminding God, Don't you know who this man is? He he kills Christians. And the Lord just, you know, let him relax. He said, I, I've I've got him and, and I and I want to use him and I'm gonna to reveal to him what I'm gonna do. Uh, he 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 was the the hunter and now he's gonna be hunted in, in essence. He he's gonna switch roles rapidly. He'll, he was apprehended on the road to Damascus. God hunted him down, removed the scales from his eyes, and and all of a sudden he's blinded. And now the, his sight's been restored, and this conversion takes place. And where he was once blind, now he sees. As we remember John Newton, the man who wrote "Amazing Grace," he, he says, "I'm I'm blind, but now I see. I see more clearly blind than I did when I could see with my eyes." And he, he's absolutely transformed by the power of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. And, and then we, we see in, in the previous verses we read that he was baptized. And, and now we pick up in the passage of Scripture in verses 20 through 43 that we'll read tonight that the first thing he does is he preaches Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, it's his title. Christ means Messiah. He is—he's the one sent by God. He's the Savior of the world, and he begins to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Ham, uh, Yeshua Hamashiach. He is—he's the one that all the Scriptures speak of, and he begins to declare with these rabbinical teachers and and all these Pharisees, all the Messianic Psalms and the Messianic prophecies, and he's going through Isaiah and Jeremiah, and every ounce of zeal and passion. That he used to destroy Christianity, he's now using to to embrace and to declare it. And everyone is fascinated. And and people are coming to the Lord. But in addition to people coming to the Lord, you think, God, now you've aligned the right person, the right place, at the right doing the right thing at the right time. This is gonna be spectacular. And watch what happens. Watch what happens. So it says, um, verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength, confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now watch this. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. It's kind of like the secular music industry. You know, what what's happened to Bob Dylan? We've got to get this guy out. We're not going to do any more deals with him. We're going to drop him from the label. He's going to be a penny looking for change. How, care, how dare he does this? He's going to ruin the industry. You know, this is a guy that was instrumental in the forefront of, of uh, you know the the hippie movement Um, you know you talk about Woodstock you talk about the LSD and the psychedelic era and this is Bob Dylan prolific songwriter and and now the secular world is saying what's happened to our star and 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 Christianity is looking at go well I'm not sure I trust this guy I mean you know you see what he's done and he's responsible for the dereliction of countless youth in our culture and the church was just stunned they didn't know how to handle him this is what you're seeing with the apostle Paul. So after many days were passed, verse 23, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So Damascus is a walled-in city. It's a very old city. It's walled in. They're watching the gates day and night. Nobody gets in. Nobody gets out. We're going to kill him. We'll find him. It won't take long. We're going to go house to house until we find him. And so the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Paul's probably being lowered in the basket and thinking, you know, this is like Jericho with the spies. It's kind of cool. To I just thought that. But they're lowering him down through the basket. Now, imagine that. He was once the hunter, and now he's the hunted. And the people hunting him were the ones he once served. And he's in no man's land. You're going to see that the Christians don't know what to do with him, and the Jews want to kill him. Verse 26, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So the Christians are frightened of him. His mind's polluted. He's going to destroy our children. He's going to bring all that that weirdness into our 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 enclave and our homeschooling groups and our our private Christian schools. And 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 he's he's going to speak of the ills that he participated in in the world. And and, and you know, listen, my kids are homeschooled. My kids go to private school. What I'm talking about is this idea that we're we're going to to protect our children from anything the world has to offer. Well, the idea is they're to be inoculated, not, not protected. It's like if you wash your kids' hands every time something happens and you're using Purell and you just increase sickness because they don't build up an immunity to the disease or the sickness around them and the bacteria and the viruses. And, and the idea is be in the world but not of the world. You know, I'll I'll bring in a, a movie that the kids have to process, and it's it's awful. And some parents will go, what kind of a family are you running? What pastor are you that you'd allow your children to watch?" And the kids can process it through a Christian worldview to be able to say, I see it, Dad. Yeah, you're right. Because, listen, they're going to talk about it with other kids. And some of you go, well, they're not going to be around those kids. Okay, well, just keep that sterile world with that. And the minute they get a chance to get out of your presence, they're back. They're going there. They're, I'm just telling you from experience, where were we? And, and Hey, listen, wisdom is proven by your children. Um, I, I don't corner the market on how to raise kids perfectly. Uh, we, we've got our own struggles, but I will tell you this, uh, the struggles haven't come from, from us inoculating the children, uh, to the things of the world. Um, Every, every child has a sin nature. But I would say this, that if wisdom is proven by our children, give it time. Now, I've been doing this for over 20 years in, in the body of Christ. And and um, and who am I to judge another man's servant? Uh, when I look at the way some parents raise their kids, I leave it alone. I, I'm not, there. there isn't a perfect way to raise. The Bible says, raise your children in love and the admonition of the Lord. And when you're old, they won't depart thereof. And the idea in the, in the Hebrew is raise them in, according to their bend. You know, um, putting, putting Daniel at Newberry Park High School, Michelle and I prayed over that, and we knew that, that he was going to be an influencer, not be influenced. And, and we were looking at Michael, and, and, and according to a bend, Michael would have the ability to influence and, and not be influenced, but be an influencer. But we saw older brother, younger brother, this idea of giving him, according to his bend, an area to do his own thing. And so we prayed and the Lord gave us a direction over here with Oaks Christian. We couldn't afford it and the Lord provides. So we 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 see the direction in each of these. Natasha, Kelly, Molly, each different. Watching how Molly and Micah are raising uh Oliver. It it's it's one of those things as a as a grandparent, you you, you back out. You go, you know, they didn't come with instructions and that's why you got to spend time on your knees. And if you, you know, a servant speaks when he's spoken to and offers his opinion when he's asked. If you want to know what we know, what we've learned from kids, ask us. Um, And if you don't, then we won't babysit. So I just... (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it it looks as though this zealousness and Paul being bold is going to be awesome. But now all of a sudden we see that he's going to be killed and, and the disciples took him. And, all, and, and, and the idea in the Greek, when it says that they took him and they lowered him, was almost by force. Paul didn't want to go. Paul loved a fight. Paul was always about the mission, never about the man. He was ready. And we're going to see this later with Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was always about the man. Paul was always about the mission. And, and not a small contention will arise, and the two will go separate ways. Um, Paul's ready to fight. He's like, I'll stay in Damascus. I'll take them all. You know, I'll, I'll whoop them with my superior intellect. And, uh that's kind of how we get, we think we, listen, God, you got a deal when you save me. You and me, we're going to get this thing straightened out. God's like, we got a lot of work to do because there's a lot of you and we're not going anywhere. We need that to go away. Remember, you came here because you were sick of yourself. Well, I was kind of sick of myself, but now I'm seeing that I'm pretty special. <laughs> God, no yard, you know, squish like a worm. And, you know, there's probably a little bit of that in Paul's life because the, the text declares that they had to force him to leave. That's that's the, the underlying idea in the in the structure of the text. And so they, they lowered him through a large wall. Now watch this, verse 26. So when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Well, come on, God. I mean... I, I can't go in Damascus cuz they're going to kill me there. I can't be with the church cuz they're all afraid of me. And 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 this is where you see what are called bridge builders. Bridge builders. There's a bridge builder in the room right now that is a great blessing to me. There's a world I can't reach. This person has has been faithfulness fellowship for years. Sometimes the things I've preached from this pulpit have been an insult and and a frustration to them. And and yet uh coming up service after service saying, listen, in the world that I revolve in, the world I work in, it would work a little bit if you tweaked it this way and if you did it this way. They they could have every reason not to be in this fellowship. But they, they know that God is here. They know God is working. And they're a Barnabas in a sense. A Barnabas is a bridge builder into another world that you're unfamiliar with. That's what a Barnabas is. And some of you are that. Some of you are wall builders and they, nobody's getting in. We're going to seal this sucker up and we're going to and you look at a Barnabas, You're going to do, you're going to pollute what we have here. You can't do this. Takes all kinds to make a work. I'm hoping this is sinking in a little bit. I don't know. So uh verse twenty seven Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and they had spoken to them uh, spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus, and so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and by the way, preaching boldly in Damascus, this is a place where everyone was sent to go kill the Christians, and Paul's like, "Let's do this. Paul's a warrior. I'm not afraid, and, and Paul would have this. You're going to see as we get later in the book of Acts, you're going to see the apostle Paul said, I don't count my life dear to myself, that I might finish the race set before me. And he says, kill me. I mean, come on. Take me piece by piece. I don't care. And seriously, he would be so brutally beaten. One of the things they declare is that he was blind because they had stoned him and left him for dead outside the city. And we're going to see in later writings, he says, I've even written it with my own hand as though, you know, if you've ever seen Gail McWilliams, when she signs her books, she tries to do the best she can, but she's so blind that she muddles the words. And she'll put a scripture verse on there and she'll hand you the book. You're like, Gail, I have no idea what reference I'm supposed to look at here. Well, what I wrote was Psalm such and such. And you're like, okay. And, and that's the Apostle Paul. They believed him to be blind. He was, we're going to see him get kicked through the streets like a soccer ball. Everywhere he goes, he's pummeled. Not just like, I mean, we're just talking MMA, thumping, brutal beast coming out. You know, this is what's happening to him. And he's in Damascus, and he's ready to face him. Verse 28 says, so, it was, so he was with him at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. So he's got, he's got the Hebraic Jews livid. He's got the Hellenists livid. He's got the Christians frightened. He, he has managed to make enemies of everybody. And he's zealous for the Lord. And a lot of Christians are like, Hey, tone it down, you're going to get us all killed. He's like, what are you so frightened about? You're the ones you are talking about, you know, I'll die for you. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You heard the words of the Lord. Why aren't you out there? What are you so afraid of? Let's do this. Let's take that mountain. Yeah, but later, we don't want to all die. And this is Paul. By the way, spend time around new believers. It'll do wonders for your faith. because A lot of people get comfortable a lot of people get comfortable. Spend time around someone who is really excited about the things of the Lord and and causes you to return to your first love. Right? And so, uh, where did I leave off? Here we go, verse 29. And He spoke in the uh, that they attempted to kill. Verse 30. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And uh, this is what's odd to me is... The disciples took him by force. They lowered him down. He comes, and he, he's preaching to the Hellenists. He gets them upset. The Christians are afraid of him. The, the uh, Hebraic Jews are angry with him. And, and what happens next in Paul's life is huge. This is, this is gargantuan. And this, is, this would have really have benefited Bob Dylan, Donna Summer. Uh, I mean, I can go down the line of a number of, of artists that came to Christ that were brutalized in the media. And and we don't necessarily know what happens, but we have to go to Galatians chapter 1 to find out. And it's verses 15 to 20. I can read it to you if you don't want to turn there. Paul's writing, he says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So we see that Paul goes into the desert for an unspecified period of time. And it it refers to the area in the East Sinai Desert. That's a BSD degree, backside of the desert. And and that's where Moses received the law. And, and, And Saul's out there because nobody else wants to go there and he's safe he just want to go where no one else is going to go it's too hot out there i'm not going to go try to find him and so he's out there and and we can only surmise what he did i imagine he probably just studied the scriptures spent time in prayer seeking the lord and and now saul's out of the picture saul's out of the picture he, now, he's, he's, he's no longer preaching the gospel, but he's no longer frightening the Christians. He's, he's in the East Sinai Peninsula, just spending time with the Lord, probably three years, unspecified amount of time, as we see in Galatians 1. And watch what happens to the church. Verse 31, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So it was a season of peace. The, the most notorious killer was sent out to the East Sinai Peninsula, into the deserts of Arabia. And, and And now there's great peace through the Holy Spirit upon the church, and the church is multiplying. It's still rapidly growing. It's not being added to, it's multiplying. So let's just say it's it's doubled so you got 15,000 now you're at 30,000 uh maybe it's times 4 maybe it's times 8 i don't know the church is rapidly multiplying and here at at this point um this this conversion experience that that Paul's now out in the desert and he's He's just becoming a lover of Christ and he's, he's seeking his first love, spending time with the Lord. And by the way, that's what should happen with every person who comes to Christ discipleship. Spend time walking him through the basic tenets of the Christian faith. Have you ever gone through the deity of Christ and the inerrancy of Scripture and why we believe what we believe? Do you know about the Trinity? Do you know about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Is it something you can communicate with someone else? Do you know what the 66 books of the Bible are? Do you know why, what, what the word gospel means? Do you know why there's four gospels and, and what the purpose of them is? Do you know the difference between matthew and mark and who wrote them do you know what the pastoral epistles are do you know what the book of revelation is can you describe the difference between poetic and and revelatory scriptures these are all things that you should be discipled in and spend time doing one of the reasons why we want to provide these quads both with the men and the women is you know oftentimes we like to get women together and we talk about women things and we do women stuff and it's really lovely and we feel good you know being together and same-sex stuff and 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 growing in our understanding of how the scriptures pertain to us as ladies, and then and then the men get together and we talk about manly things and but really, what the Lord wants to do is He breaks you into small groups quads and and four is a perfect number because it holds people accountable it 's not so small that if one leaves the the whole thing implodes it 's not so big that you, you can 't have a confidence within the group it's it 's a a perfect kind of picture of of how to operate. And so we're pushing to have the discipleship in the church done not through the women's ministry or the men's ministry, but being done by quads where people head up a quad and we, we take you through a discipleship book and you grow in the basic tenets and the fundamentals of the Christian faith. I'm a pastor today because somebody discipled me. Now granted, the man who discipled me... You know slept with my fiance and, and, and got her impregnated and he was married and had three kids and it's an awful story that you've heard a thousand times because I've been in the church a long time. But I want you to know that my faith survived that. Everything he taught me was true. My faith survived that. Not only that, it allowed me to process it. One of the reasons why Calvary chapels do so well when there's there's trauma where you know a church split or somebody does this or someone goes haywire or you know, somebody shacks up with someone else, and the church typically survives is because people are grounded by discipleship. They're able to process it, and they're not following a man. They're following the Word of God, and they're able to say, well, the Word says, and the Word says, and the Word says. I mean, that's how Jesus dealt with temptation. He says, uh, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Is it, it, it is written, so Christ would quote scriptures to deal with temptation. That's the power of discipleship in, in our lives, that we, we, we can survive trauma because we're strong. It makes the body strong. That's why we go through the Bible in, in, in depth, especially on Wednesday nights, so that you can have a, a working foundation of the Bible. It's tiring. I remember sitting through Don McClure's Sunday night services. It was the only one I could attend because I was doing youth ministry. His Sunday night services went on forever for i mean he was long just to begin with and he's convoluted he goes on rabbit trails and he somehow he brings them all back you're like i didn't think that was going to happen and and it's baffling how he comes up with stuff you never saw before but on a sunday night where he's going through seven chapters of a book and you're like i I can't do this anymore i have stretch marks on my brain and i don't feel good and he's just going on and on and on and and part of what I, part of my discipleship is I used to have to edit his sermons to put them on the radio. I had to take a Don McClure Sunday morning sermon and make it 27 minutes long where it made a, a point. That is a task because he takes an hour to build the sermon and you've got to have something that somebody in 27 minutes can walk away with. You've got to cut and splice and and, and, you know, I'd be doing it at three o'clock in the morning, Michelle, and the kids would be asleep. And it's the only time I had, and I'm listening to this thing, trying to stay awake, drinking Christian crack coffee. And I'm I'm just, I thought that was funny too. And I'm just trying to stay awake. I remember one time Don was on there and he always had these pauses and we swallow when he was talking and, 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 and I had to put a click there on the digital and I had to remove all the pregnant pauses so that the sermon, you could get it all in there. And, have you ever listened to Jay Vernon McGee? I'm going to ruin it for you from here on out. Jay Vernon McGee doesn't breathe or exhale in any of his sermons because the people who edit them have taken it all out. And the Lord said that today we will be in the thing, and he's like, he's not breathing. No wonder he's dead. You know, he's doesn't. So I kind of had to do that with Don. And I remember one time he was telling a story when he was a college guy, and he said, you know, I remember when I I got drunk and my friends, I, I no he. He says, "He says I got drunk and I got laid on the doorstep of my home by my friends." I'm like, "I got to fix that," you know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> just throwing that out there. So that's that's where I got my discipleship, and but. But going through the detail of the scriptures, I look back on it now, and that's the foundation. It's, it's, it's a, a systematic theology that I, I received by just absorbing the word. One of the things they do with the students that go to the Bible colleges, they make them go through Chuck Smith's New Testament series and Old Testament series. And, and they figured out a way to play it at fast speed, you know, so that he sounds like Mickey Mouse. And when they heard Chuck speak for the first time, most of the students go, who's that? That's Chuck. You've been listening to him all semester. Oh, didn't sound the same because they speed it up so they can get through it anyways uh where was i um so so barnabas enters into paul's life he's influential in paul's life and and here we we lose we lose track of paul paul's gone there's a brief mention of him in chapter 11 but he doesn't return to the scene until chapter 13 and uh, barnabas is the son of encouragement that's what his name means he comes alongside paul and and paul is sent home and he's going to stay there for what could be anywhere from four to eight years, four to eight years. Um, he falls off the radar. It's the wrong time. Yeah, we, we, we can say, well, it was the right person. It was the right place. It was the right thing, but it was the wrong time. God says, yeah, he's, he's the guy I picked. Absolutely. And, and this is the place I'm going to want him. He's going to be a minister to the Gentiles. You're right. It's the right thing. He's going to be preaching Jesus as a Messiah, but it's the wrong time. It's the wrong time. And, and let's just stop for a minute as you, you, you consider Paul's life. Um, Paul's watching this newfound faith. He's excited about it. And God immediately plucks him up and sends him out in the middle of East Jabib. I mean, it's at the end of the earth. and It's 11 miles past that. Just keep walking, Paul. And he's out there for what could be anywhere from seven to maybe 11 years. He's converted and he's off the scene for close to 11 years. Nothing. And some of you folks are going, you know, I've been asking the Lord for ministry and I've been trying to figure out my life and I just want to be used using the Lord and he's just got me in this little eddy and I just feel like I'm stuck in this little pond and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to. And, and and while you're whining and you're going, yeah, how many sermons have you taken in? How many things have you listened to? And you look back and you go, gosh, Lord, you had me just hovering in a place where I could saturate and, and I could soak it all in. God God isn't like, you know, Oh, man, we got to get this guy because we are just desperate. And there's no way we can reach the world unless we get that person going. Hurry up with this thing. God, did you ever see Jesus running around the shores of Galilee? Oh, we're late. We gotta go. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Hurry, 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 hurry. He was never in a hurry. Never. They'd be going there. De- he's, he's he's dead. My brother's dead. Okay. Well, let's go over there then. We'll just go. Never in a hurry. And I would just say to all of us, why are you in a hurry? One of the best things you can do when you're in a hurry, and, and I don't. My wife does, and it's helpful. It's very convicting. You know, I'm just, I just, I wish you'd done that earlier. we are going to be late. It's just, it's just so upsetting. I don't want to talk right now. I'm just, you make a scene coming in late, and it's just bad. Why don't we just pray? Oh, oh let's just pray. Okay. Pray. And she says a little prayer. We there. nobody else is there on time. We just walks. She says, hi, praise God. So good to see you. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> my heart's racing. My blood pressure's up. She's like, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> <I'm>, Shut up. <laughs> so he's in, he, he's, he's not only spends time in, in, in Tarsus, but he's in the, East Sinai Peninsula, probably 11 years, and, uh, and and for the most part, this portion of his life is a complete mystery. We have, we have no idea what transpired with Paul's life in and, and this time. I'm uh, It's 8.02, okay, I'm, I'm, I was going to get to my favorite chapter of the book of Acts, um, which is chapter 10, but we're not going to do that tonight, and some of you are going to thank God, and I understand that. Uh, but one day I should make you go through Don McClure Sunday night service. No, no, no. We'll do chapter 10 next week. Chapter 10 is my favorite because it's where bacon, bacon comes to the body of Christ. It's where bacon is approved. Okay. I thought they'd be more excited about that. I am. It's actually one of my favorite towns to visit when we go to Israel. Japa. It's where bacon was declared clean. It's just so awesome. It's just I took a picture in front of Simon the Tanner's house where it happened. And that's like a Mecca for me. I was I was crying. Okay, where were we? Okay. Uh verse thirty-one churches throughout all Judea, galilea had peace they were edified comforted so the church does really well and this is where the focus switches from from saul and comes to peter and we're going to see now in this chapter uh some it's the it's the most significant miracle that uh god uses peter to accomplish um he this this is spectacular uh you know when he said at the one time, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rises up and walking, and grabbed the guy and began to walk. This is even more spectacular because it puts a, a time frame on the man's disability. Um, look at verse thirty two. This is a, and th- by the way, this is another illustration of God's timing: um, right man, right place, right thing, right time. Verse thirty two. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all the parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. So palsy, uh, we don't know what it is, but eight years, no movement. Has anyone ever seen anybody who hasn't moved in eight years? You see what happens with the muscles, they atrophy. Uh, you, you just, you have to lift the legs and, and they're just, they're gaunt. There's no muscular activity uh, there's a, you have to almost stretch them to keep the tendons from just atrophying. And the body curls, the toes curl if, if they're not given physical therapy. And, and this man, eight years paralyzed, bedridden, nowhere, eight years, bedridden. Now, let me stop for a minute, Aeneas. Eight years you've been praying to have God heal you. Eight years you're praying for God to heal you. First year passes, no healing. Second year passes, no healing. Third year passes, no healing. Fifth, fourth year passes, no healing. Fifth year passes, no healing. Sixth year, seventh year, eight. I mean, at eight years, you're like, I, I don't bring the oil. I don't need the elders anymore. I'm just kind of settling in. Um, this, is, this is long-term, and I'm just going to live with it. And uh, I'm, I'm good with it. And, and imagine the bitterness. Um, you know, you look at Nick Wojcik. No arms and no legs. You want to talk about bitterness, trying to figure out life. He he tried to commit suicide by jumping into a pool where he can't swim. He just wanted to die. You think about uh, Joni, or Johnny, excuse me, Johnny Eric Tata. I always say Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata. Broke her neck, paralyzed. What kind of a God does that? And yet, who are the two most significant ministers in our community? Nick and Johnny. That's the difference between bitter and submitted. God doesn't promise us that we're going to be without. He says you will have trials in this life. Some of us have harder ones than others. He doesn't give us more than we can handle. We would tend to disagree with him on that. This is way over my head. You don't have a clue what you're saying. Then you kind of get down the road. You're like, okay, it is manageable, but I still don't like it. And think of the things that we're whining about right now. Think of the the frustrations we might have with the Lord in some way, shape, or form, how we're just angry at him. And here's this guy, Aeneas. In eight years, he's paralyzed and he's bedridden. Verse 34, Peter comes to Lydda. Lydda, by the way, is en route to Joppa. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. And that's present tense. He heals you right now, present tense. That's in the Greek. Jesus heals you. Not, uh, that's gutsy. That's the second time I've seen Peter do something like that. And you walk into a room, and this guy's legs are all bent and contorted and, and atrophied. And, and people say, you know... Praise God, brother, you've got to have faith. You've got to muster the faith. I, I always laugh at that because, you know, they say the reason why you weren't healed is because you didn't have enough faith. And I love the passage in Scripture where they remove the ceiling and they lower their friend at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus looks up at them and he says, your faith has healed this man. So when some knucklehead says you don't have enough faith, I go, well, then let's use yours, smarty. God does what God does. We ask. He can say no. And how many times do you think Aeneas prayed for healing? And and now, now Peter comes on the scene, and Peter's like, you can imagine him walking into the house going, what, Lord? Aeneas, is gonna, we're gonna he, you're going to heal him. Okay, okay. Oh, <laughs> he's jacked up. <laughs> You think you think maybe we could do the person with conjunctivitis over here? Remember the spit you did in the eyes? Could we we do that one? Cause that's that's pretty intense. There's no way we can fake that in one of those healing services. Take his wheelchair away. He ain't going anywhere. Um, okay, okay. This is a big one. This is a big one. Imagine the faith Peter has. He's like, you know, Lord. And I'll tell you what kind of faith Peter had. The Lord says. I'm going to heal him. You Go tell him. He's like, and let me tell you the kind of faith Peter has. Peter has no faith in his ability to heal him or that he's going to channel it with an anointing. Peter's Peter saying, Lord, I'll say what you told me to say. And if you want to make a mockery of me, fine. Let's do this because I don't count my life dear to myself. The only faith Peter had was obedience to what God told him to do. He wasn't over there going, in Jesus' name, let's rile it up. Let's get fired up. Let's feel the spirit of the living God permeating the room. Do you feel it, brothers? Do you feel it? And I'm going to smack you over the head, and you're going to shake, and then we're going to bark, and then laugh, and drunk, tr- and then we're going to raise him. Peter just looks over at him, and he just says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Who gets the glory on that one? The guy doing the dance and the mustering? <laughs> And the giggling and the who gets the glory? The Lord, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ, heals you. Arise and make your bed. We're good to go. I don't know why you got that ticket. I would have liked to have had it, but you just got a ticket, buddy. He heals you. Make your bed, let's go. He arose immediately. Let's think about that. Atrophied legs. Okay, you're healed. The, the, the polio's gone, but we're going to have to work through, you know restoring the muscle. No, you can imagine. I just spit. that's cool.. Just Everything's fine. That was a healing. That was a healing. And boom. He rose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lida and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Right place, right time, right thing, right man. God and and let, let's think about Aeneas. You get to heaven and you're like, Aeneas, I gotta ask you a question, buddy. Eight years you laid in that bed just eight eight years, remember that? Yeah? And you prayed, yeah. What was that like? I mean, are you bitter that God took eight years of your life? He said, Do you know how many people came to Christ in Lida? And Sharon, God did the right thing at the right time with the right man in the right place. I mean, God knew what he was doing. He was aligning it. Everyone's heart was ready. He pulled the trigger. And if I'm to be used for that, praise the Lord, I don't count my life dear to myself. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. He's in heaven. He's not bitter up there going, oh, eight years I could have had. And he's in heaven going, this, more people, more people. You mean you preached that on, on Wednesday night and in the Calvary Chapel more people were moved by it? Is the story still having effect? Yes. This is great. You should have done 16 years. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I was thinking that. And that's not enough. That's not enough. Lida and Sharon have this um, unbelievable revival. And, and, and they saw him, and they're turning to the Lord. All, the scripture says, all who dwelt in light and Sharon. All. That's a revival. Bam. And that's not enough. Right man, right place, right time, right thing. Verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Tabitha means gazelle. And we should just stay with that instead of the Greek rendition. The Greek rendition, which translates Dorcas. you should just say with tabitha it's like the female version of dork Dorkas, dorkas. i was just adding that this woman was full of good works charitable deeds which she did good works charitable deeds this is a good woman charitable deeds it, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died and when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. And this is what they call the Tachrahim. We've gone through this. Remember when we looked at the washing of Jesus' body with the Tachrahim and the Havar Kadesh, which is the Holy Society, and they would wash the body and prepare it with Jewish burial, and they would talk to the, to the deceased, and they said, we're going to turn you over now and wash your back, and we're going to comb your hair now. And, and, and they would prepare the body for burial, and they would, they would sew it together and put the rope around the face of so the, the cloth would stay, the burial cloth they've done all this in the upper room. By the way, that there's an upper room, Tabitha, she's she's got she's got a lot of money. Um she's rich. Because she's got an upper room which was uncommon for the time and and the fact that there's a there is a Havra Kadesh, a, um a sacred society caring for her, she's a woman of nobility and um and look what it says in verse 38 after they wash and they later in the upper room. Verse 38, and since Lida was near Joppa, right place, right time, right thing, right man. The timing God is orchestrating. And the disciples heard that Peter was there and they sent two men to him imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Most folks, I, I remember when we first went to, to Russia after the, the wall had come down, and you'd see people in Moscow, and they were, they were dressed lovely, and they'd be going to work. And the women would have their, their nice outfit on, they'd be going to work. And you go, wow, they dress really nice in Russia. And then the next day, you'd, you'd go, and you'd see the same people in the same metro stop, and they'd have the same outfit on going to work. They had one set of clothes. They took good care of them, but they kept going to work. In, in this culture, they had one set of clothes. and They had one set of clothes, and, and it was a port city, city. Joppa was a port city. Joppa is what we call Jaffra today. Um, and, and, and it was a Roman port city. It was where they used to bring all the, the wood in, the lumber, to build Solomon's temple. Uh, it would, it, it would been run by Suleiman and, and gone back and forth with, with uh, Richard the Lion. When they, when they had the Crusades and 20,000 know, Christians were killed by the Muslims and the Crusades and all this. It was a brutal battleground. And at this point, Joppa is a port city. It gets cold in the winter. And, and this woman, Tabitha, is sewing garments for all these ladies. And, these, and, and by the way, it points out, it says, um, all the widows stood by him weeping. You know why there were widows? It was a port city. Their husbands would go out to sea and they wouldn't come back. It was, it, you know, it's, it's like deadly as catch, it was a very dangerous profession. And the city, much like Gloucester um, in, in Massachusetts, it's, it was filled, that's, they had the widow's walk, where you know the, the, the widow would walk waiting for her husband to come back from sea, looking out, and that's what they called the widow's peak. And I got one here, you know, and so you have that. It's, it's still not working. It's Wednesday, you guys are not with me. I mean, you're just saying it's not funny, and I get that. But there was a lot of widows, and they had no income. And so she's over there, and she's, she's taking, think what she's doing. These widows come to Peter, and they know Peter's reputation precedes him. He comes in, they come, and they bring him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. They're just sobbing, holding out the garments, sobbing, holding these out. Look, she's dead. This woman took a needle and thread and, and used it to bring the community together. She sewed the community together. She did something for the community. She got that widow over there a tunic. She got that widow over there, and she got that widow over there, and she used her ability to bring the entire community together. That is epic. What skill do you have? How are you bringing the community together? We look at Christianity as our enclave, and that's the enemy out there. Dorcas is out there bringing them all in, just knitting and sewing these garments, and this one thread is just warping and woofing its way through every home and gathering them into this room. Her efforts set this day up. A good name is like a precious fragrance. Better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. She's dead. Everyone who had a thread attached to him through Dorcas's efforts were all pulled into that room. And the fragrance of her name brought them into the room. And the testimony of her name brought them into the room. Now Peter walks in. Right time, right place, right man, right thing. First he had to go to Aeneas. And all, all who lived in Lydda and Sharon came to Christ. Now Joppa. And they're looking and they're saying, this woman worked diligently. Why would God, there's thousands of people in this city that are worthless. Why didn't God take them? Why did He take her? Look. And they're all just warped and woofed and tied into this room by this woman's efforts. Those quilts that the women make that we give to those children on Sunday mornings when they're dedicated, knits the heart. It's powerful. And they're all in this room and their lives are deeply touched and they're just sobbing. And they're showing these tunics and they're weeping. And Peter put them all out. And he said, just go out. I get it. There's something bigger than all of us here. Go out. And what does he do? He takes them all out and he kneels down and he prays. God, you're doing something here and I want to get aligned with you. You're, you. You got the right place, right time, right thing. And I just want to make sure I'm the right man. And so, Lord, I'm here I'm not able to do anything, but I am available, and he begins to pray, and as he's 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 kneeling and he's praying, he turns to the body and he said, Tabitha, get up and, and it's it's an endearing term that you say to your children it's like what jesus said to the the girl who had died, and Talitha Kumi, little girl, get up sweetheart, it's time to wake up, it's what you tell to your kids when it's you know it's time to get up. And that's the first time, you know, and they're still sleeping. But then, like, get the heck out of bed. You're going to be late for school. What is your problem? And Michelle, don't talk to the children that way. And, <laughs> that's all right. And so turning to the body, says, Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Peter. She sits up. Just Can I make you a coat or something? <laughs> Then, she, then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. Peter, Peter's walking out with her. And you can imagine the, the place just like, who is this God that has enveloped you and who is this God you serve? And what in the world did you do in that room? Peter says, I knelt and asked God to do it. I didn't do anything but Kneel and ask him to move. Is there an anointing on you? Um, If you call an anointing a dead to myself and alive to Christ, okay, okay. If you call an anointing somebody who's completely yielded to God and saying, God, there's no way I'm gonna get this woman out of bed. There's no way, I I have no ability. Lord, I'm here and you're you're trying to align these things, right person, right time, right thing, right place. Uh, Lord, I'm yielding. I just wanna align myself with you." you. If you call that an anointing prayer, yeah, yeah, that's an anointing. If you think I was in there shaking like an electric circuit, no, no, that, that's, that's not what I did. If you think that I, I'm, I'm blowing on people like we saw on Sunday, no, that's, that's not it. The, the, the anointing came from the simple fact that I got out of the way. You know, Peter doesn't start doing the Peter Hinn Ministries. He doesn't go out and find a tailor and a jet and an air-conditioned doghouse. He just picks a woman up, walks her out, gives her a hand, lifts her up. Probably he's behind her, he's guiding her out so she can be the center of attention. And then he calls the saints and the widows. And by the way, you know, saint is not the people that you see on the walls and the pictures. ha, ha, ha. I want to tell you what a saint is. The scriptures tell us what a saint is. You can write this down because it's in Romans. It says anyone who's a Christian is a saint. How do you feel about that saint, Brett? Amen, amen. Yes, Saint Rob. It's a lovely sound, isn't it? There's, there's, listen, the only thing holy in you and me is Jesus. And that's what makes us saints. It's nice to remember people who've gone before us and be grateful for the example they set, so great a cloud of witnesses, but we're all saints. And when he's declaring saints, he's saying believers. And you know why he says saints and widows? Because a lot of widows didn't know the Lord. And guess who was ministering to them and bringing them in with that little needle and thread? Tabitha and and the saints are like god rocks and the widows are like oh, i have chills i have chills and he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa all now here it says and many believed on the lord not all everyone knew but not all believed so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner oh, this gets even better. Simon didn't know the Lord. All heard about it. Not all came to Christ. Probably they didn't know all the, the aspects pertaining to it. And, and God brings, brings Peter down from Aeneas' house and, uh, and and these towns, everyone gets saved. And now he comes down to Joppa because of, of Tabitha. She's raised from the dead and... Here's, here's the catchy thing, and we'll cover it next week because there's only six minutes left. We'll cover it next week. Simon the Tanner. Peter's a Jew. You don't deal with dead animals. It's unclean. And he's staying in a Gentile's home. Simon the Tanner. I mean, for those of us who, who lean towards legalism, and, and I we all have our bend. But for those who lean towards legalism, that's Peter. And Peter's now, his world's being rocked. He's, he's staying with Simon the Tanner. He's going back to Jerusalem and going, didn't we hear that you were with Simon the Tanner? You need to stay away from us for a few days. There are dead animals hanging. He's scraping the carcasses of these folks. And this was so exciting is not only is there a complete revival in all of these different towns, but, but now we're going to watch what happens at Simon, Simon the Tanner's house with a, a guy by the name of Cornelius and, and this dream that Peter has that blesses us with bacon. You can read it. Chapter 10, we'll cover it more next week. Any questions?